We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the True Faith Podcast, Newcastle United 2, Bournemouth 1, a brilliant date St James's Park for those of us that were there or watching. You've got Alex Hurst, Michael Collins, soon to join us, Ben Wade, special guest this week, um, long-term friend of the show, and those of you who are patrons will have recognised his voice, and those of you who've listened to the odd free show, and you know we put a free show out a few weeks ago with my greatest game, which was Newcastle United, Leicester City. Uh, Mark Corby is here, so Mark, thanks for joining us. And alongside him is a long-time football writer in the northeast of England, currently the Daily Star's northeast football reporter, amongst other things. It's uh, Ian Murder. Ian, welcome. Glad to be here. Brilliant, lads. We'll, we'll get straight into it. into it. Ian, we'll start with you. Um, me and you met in private a few weeks ago. Yeah. Nothing shady, nothing dodgy, but just an <laughs> off-air conversation. Coffee. And um, we talked about Newcastle United's Recent 5-0 defeat at Leicester. I was very negative. You were very positive that he would turn it round, Steve Bruce, and out of the two of us, you've been proved right. What what was that faith born out of? Well, I haven't been proved right yet. Uh, just just as my argument back then was it's too early to make judgments, it probably still is. But uh, cards on table, Steve Bruce, a friend of mine, has been for years. I was in the 0.1%. He was delighted he got the job. Not saying I was pleased that Rafa went, but I was very pleased to see. I knew what it meant to Steve, and uh, he's great fun to deal with, actually. And But I've always thought Steve Bruce has had a very bad press in terms of his past managerial record. I'm, where has he cocked up? I don't think he has. He's, he was he's very, very popular with Hull supporters, Birmingham fans. He Sunderland fans probably now, in hindsight, regret him being sacked far too early. Aston Villa joined at a difficult time, took them to the playoffs and didn't do badly there. He's not exactly Wigan's most successful manager, but he's one of the most popular ones I've had. And also, if you look at his, his transfer record, if, he, if, if I went round the table and asked people to name you know, the most uh, successful British buys of the last five years, I'm sure the names of Robertson, Maguire and McGinn would be high up there, all signed by Steve Bruce or Steve Bruce's uh, management team. So so I think he is a good manager. Of course he hasn't won anything, but neither have the likes of Pochettino in this country. So, no, li- listen, I mean, it's easier to argue his case now after back-to-back wins, which was tremendous, and the narrative has changed from back in that those dark days after the 5-0 defeat against Leicester. Yeah, yeah, they have. The, the narrative's changed, and I think you know a lot of people listen to this probably still have reservations. Some of them will be far more on board than others, and you know, like we've always said in the show, results will will kill or kill or make Steve Bruce's Newcastle manager. Mark, you know, you know, we know we know each other quite well. I, I know you've been seriously disaffected this season, not just by Steve Bruce though, by by a number of things. You know, what what's your take on on the manager, and, and did you enjoy Saturday first of all? Well, I'm pleased that we're sitting here and we've won. Which yeah. is great, and so it's lovely to meet Ian for the first time. And as you've as you said, there you're a close friend of, of Steve, so you know that's that's interesting to hear your points because I would never have thought of Steve Bruce as a you know great in the transfer market. I don't look at it from that point of view. I'm a little bit on the side of the fence where I look at it, his overall stats, um, you know, his his win ratio um, before he got the Newcastle job, and I also look at it from a point of view of. Um, Dizzy's credentials suit Newcastle United. Um, Ian may argue, yes, he deserves a chance based on what he's just what he's just said there. And numerous other Newcastle supporters might say the same. Personally, um, I 
don't think he was the right decision, uh, man for the job, but ultimately, who else could we have attracted? Um, you know, it's clear that he, he was desperate for the job, um, but for me, I hope I don't have to regret this, but I'd love to be proven wrong in another sense. I think we've probably got someone of Steve Bruce's sort of potential and calibre. I think we may have left it around about 14, 15 years too late. And what I, what I was thinking about this today... You'd agree with you, by the way. Yeah, well... Yeah. Great, but yeah. I think I think that the disappointment and the sort of the, the sort of you know anger in the summer over the appointment was probably based on, as, as Ian alluded to before, the, the disappointment of losing someone like Rafa Benitez, and the the only comparison I can think of in my thirty plus years of sport Newcastle, it's it's similar to me of when we uh, let Keegan go and we got Joe Kinnear, but also on another sense, it's when we're, we're, Bobby Robson was. You know, for whatever reason, he was he was forced out or like whatever, and we end up getting Graham Sooners. But Graham Sooners, when you look at what what he did, he made it into a decent cup side, and he also won a few trophies at uh, Blackburn. Uh, obviously, won the FA Cup at Liverpool against Sunderland, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think it was just an overall disappointment more than anything that we had lost Rafa Benitez. I don't think anyone would have appeased me to be perfectly honest with you. There was there was rumours Mourinho. <laughs> might get the job. And even then I thought Mourinho was the type of person as he he is by the media bigger than Newcastle United. And that would have been a battle straight away. Mm-hmm. So but, you know, without going into the past too much, you know, you've all looked at the, the facts here. Yeah? We've, we've been unbeaten at home since the first game of the season. Uh we've beat Man United. We've beat a decent Bournemouth side. We've beat a very good uh, West Ham side, even though they're not performing. Has he turned it around? Has he hit it the knee on the head too too early to, to say just as much as it was too early to see after seven or eight games when people were you know wanting him out I certainly didn't want him out but I, I was just I didn't really see anything what made us think any differently to why I was disappointed when he got the job Fair comments fair comments and we've talked about it a lot and we will continue to talk about it a lot in the podcast and that's the thing that as the season unfolds and this little spell we've got now until Although we've got Man City next home game, you know, we've got a run of games against teams outside of the top six that, you know, it's kind of the kind of glass half full, empty thing. You could look at it and say, well, you know, we've drawn with Wolves, we could have won. We could have beat Brighton even though we were terrible. We could have won in the last 10 minutes. We could have, uh, you know, got something more at Watford at home and nearly won at the end. But you could also look at it and say, actually, the last couple of weeks... There's a header goes wide in the last seconds against Bournemouth. Wolves miss a near open goal from a header across. You know, so we seem to be getting the rub of the green, but that's what you need. We got the rub of the green this time last season against Watford, Bournemouth at home, Burnley away, and then we went and at Huddersfield, I think, or something like that. So it's it, that's football, particularly in the life of the bottom half of the Premier League. You've got to take your form and your good wins and your good fortune when it comes. Ben in the corner on Saturday. Um, you know, enjoy the day, type thing. Yeah, it was uh, really uh, <laughs> sorry. Just awkwardly uh, positioning myself. Yeah, no, it was actually one of the it, probably the, the best day I've had of the season so far. I think um, just I, I felt more. I don't know why. I just felt more confident before the game. I, I, I fancied us getting a two-one result. Actually, I told the last at the bar, uh, the Trent. I said two-one. Bet you was delighted. To I was hear saying that. two-one. Can I just take two. your drinks order, sir? Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Two-one. Trust us. Get it on. And uh, obviously, ultimately proven right. But um, no, I just I think it, it's interesting because it's similar parallels to to last season um, in terms of we just come off the back of beating Watford, as you just alluded to there. And um, I think the, the Bournemouth was probably the best performance we we had at home last season. I think um, in terms of we dominated that game for for large periods, and I, we've started to, I, the last couple of years. I think we've, we've done ourselves we've done ourselves justice against Bournemouth, and it's a team that a lot on paper you would expect them to come in and railroad us and probably play us off the park we've got a lot of good players but um, we, we always get stuck into them and um, I think what we saw from well we had a, a bad patch I think for the first 20, 20 minutes 25 minutes or so um, it did seem to be that it was only going to be one winner and we couldn't really quite get into the game but um, we grew into it and, and it was just a really enjoyable game it was really entertaining um, and I think that was probably one of the surprising things is it was quite an open game but I would I wouldn't really say that they were coming back to us. It was it seemed to be all Newcastle on the front foot, and uh, that was like really encouraging to see. So um, yeah, it was uh, quite a positive uh, performance. I thought. Mickey, you rarely attend home games these days, out of by by choice or or however it happens. 
Um, I mean, what was that your second home game of the season? Second, second. Yeah. You'd move the mic, you know, it moves all over the place. That's why I paid all that money for it. These <laughs> <laughs> two stretching the necks. You tell me it wouldn't move. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of same thing for you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come to Mark on this actually because because I, I know he's kind of me and you have talked and you've kind of even talked publicly about the atmosphere this season, not just in the ground but out the ground. But you know, the, I, I was in the posh seats on. Saturday, just above you, and he's in the posher seats. But um, <laughs> the, I thought the corner was really loud, second half especially, and it was it was the first time this season it almost sounded like a home game. It's not quite. It wasn't quite as good as people are saying on social media, or that or that you seemingly have heard. Um, being in it, it was it was a, a, a lot lot better than it's been this season. There's no denying that. But it didn't start until ten minutes into the second half, and in the first half, even after we equalised. It was basically silent. Well, that was the, because everyone thought the goal was going to be disallowed by well, VAR. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but even in the aftermath of that, though, there was there was genuine periods of proper silence from the crowd, which which last season you didn't get. But it was nice to see it, you know, edging back in the right direction. And fingers crossed, if we can keep this kind of not just the results, but this kind of style of play where there's excitement and there's a, attacks and there's you know mental stuff happening with Maximan skinning like six people in a row. That's what gets the crowd going, and if we keep doing that, the atmosphere will pick up. I think uh, I think the fan base is slowly falling back in love with the team, if not the club. Yeah, that's the difference, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's well. That's been a big divide amongst amongst the fan base, isn't it? Of people people wanting to get behind the team, but not the club, or people that that won't get behind any of it at all. And I've I've taken a bit of grief, a little bit of grief because I don't have that many followers, but a, a bit of grief on social media this week because I said Bruce is going to start turning people around. Steve Bruce is never going to turn the people around that have turned their back on the club already, unless unless a miracle happens. Because those people aren't aren't annoyed with Steve Bruce. They're not, you know, they, they probably don't really care about Steve Bruce. The the problem for them is, and and it is for us as well. Don't get us wrong. The problem for them is Mike. Actually, my my point on that was with positive results and positive performances and and, and a positive style of play, he will start turning people around in the in the ground, and he he's doing it a bit with us. Mark, then your mm-hmm. thoughts on on Saturday, the atmosphere, and, and your general kind of assessment of Goodness and James's Park this season. Um, getting disinterested, I think. You know, sadly, the the the, the majority of my lot have been going since uh, well, since the eighties, early eighties, and um, I think there's probably around about fourteen of us dotted around the ground with season tickets, various parts, but the majority of us are in the corner as well. Um, a couple of years ago, the place was bouncing. It seemed to be um, the best place to be if you wanted a sing song, which despite being 41, I still love a sing song, getting behind the team. Um, it, it was good in parts, but it was, for me, I remember going to St. James's Park um, and the build-up was just as important um, to supporting the, the, the lads during the game. And, you know, there was nothing better than a big, you know, raucous Newcastle coming from the, the terraces or the seats. But that seems to not be there now. When you walk in, it's it is quite quiet. It's it's like the the support need um, to be entertained. You know, I'm not just saying this is under Bruce. It happened under Rafa. We've discussed this before. Um, a lot of our fan base now, for me, I've said this before, is unrecognisable from the fan base who was there. You know, early nineties under Keegan, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. People have been priced out, and as Mickey said, people have just lost heart and they're, they're blaming the owner. And it doesn't matter who comes in, they won't go back. Um, but Saturday, it's interesting what you said there about people needing to be entertained and things like that to, to get um, get going. I thought the turning point, or one of the bigger turning points, was when um, Joe Linton got a, a sly little dig in the in the ribs. Off, uh, yeah, Cook. definitely was, definitely was. And the, yeah. I, I think there's nothing better than a new, an angry Newcastle support, but not angry against the regime or a manager or a player when they're angry against the referee. Because you know, yep. over the years, our fan has been superb when when the, you know when we feel as if we have been hard done by, and that for me is when it lifted. And I think we you know we did a bit. We the players performed, um, we felt hard done by, and you know, end of the day, the Gallagher shouted the, the shouted them home, and we got three you know very important points. Mm-hmm. Similar in the Man U game, actually, they similar. I can't remember what the decision was, but there was one where it really brought the eye of the, the crowd, and it, from that moment, and it was quite early on in the game, but. Everyone was, was up for it and mm-hmm. spot on with that, I think. I think what's uh, so encouraging about Saturday is Newcastle did one of the harder things in football. Yeah. That, that's win a game after trailing. And I mean, the stats are incredibly low. I think it's about 15% of games, if, if that. Yeah. Secondly, 
they beat a good team. Now, after the West Ham game, everyone was saying, well, yeah, good performance, but you should have seen how bad West Ham were. Mm-hmm. After Manchester United, that's the worst Manchester United side we've ever seen. Even Tottenham was 10 behind the ball. This was, it got better and better. And at 2-1, they didn't sit back. They actually listened to what the manager had said and said, look, stay on the front foot. And they did. And I, I, I think, you know, we were all talking a few weeks ago, what's Newcastle's identity? And I think they've got two or three identities. After Manchester United, everyone's talking about this Geordie identity with the, with the Longstaff brothers. Now you've got the identity of this back-to-front team of the, all the defenders scoring goals. <laughs> but I think the main identity is what you've got is a team with extreme pace. You know, there are three players who they look like professional sprinters, Yedlin, St. Max and Almeron. Now, did you notice Bournemouth, and it wasn't just out of panic, I think they were told to do it, how many times they kicked the ball into touch when they could feel a player on the shoulders, whether it be Almeron or St. Max or Yedlin, and they were taking no chances. The message has got, got round that, you know, whatever limitations this forward line does have, Newcastle has pace to burn. It was really obvious in that game, actually, that Bournemouth knew what was coming and had adapted and that their defence, every time we had the ball and moved it slightly forward, their defensive line was really, really, really deep to try and cut off the space in behind. Now, we caught them a few times on the break, but that's a point that hasn't really happened for Newcastle at home for a long time where they've had to adapt to our style of play rather than vice versa. Like, we've always kind of had our game plan We've, we've done the defensive work really well and, and, and capitalised on mistakes or, or good attacks going forward, but they've had to come to Newcastle now and change their entire way of playing because of our pace. And it's it's really refreshing to see, actually, because we haven't... Two, two players on St. Max every time. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I noticed in the first half. And this is where I, I put on social media after the game, great win and fair play to the manager. Because I've been hugely critical of him this season, tactically. You know, I, I wish he'd bring a sub on a bit earlier. But when you're winning games, you, you do things right. Um, and one of the things, like you say, we had a really first, well, in fact, we started the game all right. In fact, the first five minutes or so, we had a couple of attacks, we had a shot on target. Far more positive than previous home games, I thought, were started. I don't know whether that was intentional. Then Bournemouth got into the groove, and they've got some very good players. They scored a, a poor goal defensively, but a very satisfying goal for them mm-hmm. offensively. And they could have had a couple more, you know. Um, we, we were quite lucky in that respect. What I noticed was... We started that game during Bournemouth's good spell. It was the same as West Ham. It was almost a flat back five, four in midfield and Joe Linton at the front. As soon as, from half an hour onwards, Bruce, it must have happened, says to the fullbacks, just just get up, push up, and it becomes a genuine 3-4-3 three, three, so that Yedlin and Willems are, are permanently on the halfway line pushing Bournemouth's wingers back. I sent a text to our group about 25 minutes in saying, we need more from the right side here because they're spot on two or three players, at least, sometimes it was four players yeah, in the first yeah. half on some maximum. It was almost like Bournemouth weren't fussed about the other side of the pitch. Yeah. What happens, we get a goal now, I appreciate it, it was a shot from St. Maximan. Looked like a shot that was deflected. But yeah, then wouldn't have been there without yeah. that tactical change. You wouldn't have had your right back as far up. And, and the manager deserves a lot of credit for that. And what you notice now, the, the most positive thing to agree with you is that for the rest of that game, apart from the last minute, we looked far more likely to score Despite the fact that they had, they had all the ball and, and the, the midfield too were brilliant. Hayden was fantastic coming back mm-hmm. into the side. Yeah, John Joshua, we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, we'll, t- we'll talk about him now. Um, a player that a few weeks ago, again, I mentioned in the previous podcast, when we drew with Wolves, I thought he should have been introduced to the game to get the most out of the, the front three. Um, I think he's been one of the best players the last two weeks. He was given the captain's armband. This is a player, Ian, who I think Steve Bruce came in and identified straight away he was going to have to try and get the best out of what like do you have any you know any any tales to tell about their relationship well i think any manager who'd come in whoever it had been would have seen a player who was talented but possibly hadn't fulfilled his potential so he, he is an intriguing case john wouldn't he and uh, i think it was after the leicester cup game uh, when newcastle played reasonably well and and we, we were talking to him, and he was very, very open, saying how much he wanted to stay. He was being genuine there. And he was saying, look, I know I've got this reputation of being lazy, but my stats are good. Now, where, where he does fall down occasionally is in his first five yards. So he was left out against Man United. Although, to be fair, I think it, he has been carrying a thigh injury in the early weeks of the season. But you could see on Saturday, he wants to work hard. 
he was shouting. He was very, very vociferous. You could hear him from the press box having a go at Willems, having a go at and, uh, St. Max, telling him to work harder. So, you know, will, will he play every game between now and the end of the season? Probably not. Does Steve Bruce see him in his first choice starting lineup? Well, yes, at the moment. Will he in six weeks' time? We don't know. You know, I mean, Sean Longstaff, I think, is an outstanding player. And I would suspect that long term, it will be Longstaff and Hayden. But wouldn't it be great if, if John Joe Shelby did prove us all wrong and stayed in because, you know, he is the most creative player in the side. He takes a good set piece and his attitude appears to be spot on now. We've, uh, he's another one that we've been quite, quite critical of this year on the podcast. We saw a really different performance from Shelby on, on Saturday than we did the previous week. He put a lot of the groundwork in. He put a lot of challenges in. He did a lot of hustling. You're talking there about the first five yards. He did that really yes, well he, on Saturday. He did, yes. he, he well, I'm saying he's, he's, not, he's not quick over the first five, is he? No, but he's, but no he's not. He wasn't. But, but he, was, he was doing that quite yeah. effectively. Yeah. And he, he was in people's face. And he was doing, he was doing what Marty, Matty Longstaff did really well. But just getting, just getting in and around people and making it difficult for their centre mids to make the easy pass which makes their lives obviously far, far, far more difficult. Now, when you're adding Shelby's passing ability into that, into that kind of dogged performance, it becomes a really effective player. Now, I would argue we don't see that anywhere near often enough from Shelby. He never really consistently gives us both of those parts of the game. More often than not, he does really well in the games where he gets a lot of space and a lot of time, but it was really refreshing to see him do so well at both at the weekends. You, you kind of drop him at the minute. I know through balls it- in the second half, outstanding, weren't they? They wanted Joe Linton. They yeah. wanted to say Max. Yeah, I was just about, I was just about to say that wasn't that chance for Joe Linton. That wasn't a chance because it was just John Joe Shelby with the yeah. ball halfway in, in his own half. That's the difference. And and you think, you know, the two the two fast men. If I'm them, I want John Joe Shelby playing every time because I know if I get him my bike, the chances are he's going to find me. Now you're right about West Ham. West Ham basically just didn't bother with Shelby. You know, they just they just played their own weird game, mm. open <laughs> game with you know space all over the pitch, and and, and he played really well. Call it call out the West Ham way, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> whereas whereas he, you know Shelby was pressed every time he had the ball. You know, Bournemouth are a high energy side that do press very well, particularly in, mid, in midfield areas. Um, and, and he still managed to have a good game. So like you say, I think it's a good point. He managed to adapt. It wasn't just kind of two poor teams. And you're spot on, Ian. It was one of the things that annoyed me. Mm-hmm. Some social media people kind of replying to me, saying so, you know, it was Bournemouth were shite, Bournemouth were, were this. And it's actually, you know, Bournemouth are pretty ropey defensively. But they're, well, that's what it looked like on Saturday. The defensive record this season actually is pretty good. They've kept a few more clean sheets. They'd only conceded one goal in four games before this game. Yeah. Um, you know, we did expose some of their flaws but also, some of their attacking movement in the first half was was a joy to behold because you were getting a bit frustrated. Mm-hmm. But it was you were like fair play. That's you know oh, Fraser's Fraser run. You, you couldn't really blame the keeper or the centre backs or anything like that because they were they were so good. And we managed to 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 manage that. And if we're close to Bournemouth, I think at the end of the season in the league will be all right because Bournemouth aren't going to get relegated. They never do. They're never even in the mix at the end of the season. So the fact that and it was the same last season. We put in two very good performances against Bournemouth last season, like one of you rightly said. The fact that I think three or four weeks ago, I don't think I could have seen as, you know, we could have played Bournemouth and we could have got a scrappy one nil or that was a deserved win for me. And I think Eddie Howe spoke afterwards and kind of, he said, we were disappointed and missed the chance. We think we should have scored more, but, you know, he was kind of like, well, overall, they probably deserved the win. I think he was a bit disappointed that they let us back into it. And, you know, this is why I was talking about the crowd earlier. There are so many managers that come and talk about when they've lost games, about how the, the crowd play an impact. So how referenced on Saturday again, he said, we let them back into it and the crowd get up. And when the crowd get up, it's very hard for teams to kind of change that momentum. Um, I don't think that's a good, a true reflection. What happened though, I think we forced our way back into it. They didn't, they didn't let us into it. Their, their performance. I think what he was really saying dropped. is a big, a big turning point was kind of St. Max Man's chance. And they basically passed the ball to him. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. think that's what he's saying. And they're also saying that the, um, the you know when um, Almiron switches the play for St Maximan, I think again they passed the ball that was just before that. Yeah, so we, if you're a manager like him, I'm sure he's yeah. picking up on like micro small things yeah. that we probably don't notice. But it is right, and and that's why Saturday was nice. It's kind of one of my favourite games. It's in the winter. You're going in in sunlight, coming out in the dark into the crisp Newcastle night for a couple of pints, and you've won three points. Nothing nothing gets better, mm-hmm. unless Ben the front three can start scoring. I know you were. Uh, 
you were, we were talking earlier and you were just you were kind of thinking what the hell have they got to do to score you know are you are you one of those who thinks it will definitely come or are you a bit worried the fact that we're 11 game 12 games in now and we've got one goal from the the three of them they're definitely cursed aren't they there's i don't know what more they need to do well, to, Armand said he hitting the I mean, the of chances that I mean Max. that. Well, I think that was just St. Max was like he's not getting scored before me. <laughs> uh, we'll do anything again. I'm sure he dived in front of that ball. To be fair, he left about two yards. Um, I mean that that was a really really encouraging performance. I mean, you've already said it. It was really entertaining. You you couldn't fault other than I mean, all you the cherry on the cake would have been a, a goal for one of them. Um, that is as good a front three performance as. I mean, we we were talking interestingly a couple of weeks ago about the front three. Um, last season and how good they were and how they complement each other and, and they they worked together seamlessly and, and there was a real connection from the first sort of game and we'd, we'd said how this seemed to be a bit more disjointed but it all clicked on Saturday um, Almiron and Maximan are starting to connect together uh, Joe Linton's bringing the ball down and bringing them into play and I think a lot of that is the Shelby factor in terms of I think the two wide players now know that they can get and impact a game further forward because there's now somebody that can play those long balls in um, in behind and, and, and as we've already said with the pace that they've got that's where we're going to um, and the dribbling ability that's where they stand out I mean they're two of the best dribblers in, in the league potentially um, and at pace there's, there's not a lot um, defenders will be able to do about that um, so it's just getting them onto the ball and in space where as you say where they've not got four men around them because in reality what do you expect them to do although if it's St Max he'll skin them all in <laughs> and go through let's, let's not forget this time last year more than fifty percent of Newcastle fans probably wanted Perez out of the side. Mm-hmm. He'd only scored. He only scored two goals up to the new year, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. And in the corresponding fixture last year against Bournemouth, that was Rondon's first league goal. Yeah. So they weren't catching fire in that yeah, first yeah, yeah. half of the season. Mm-hmm. To be fair, it was Al- Almeron was the catalyst, wasn't mm-hmm. he? Sparked yeah. them into life, and it looks as if maybe the same could happen. I do think Jalinton is one of these forwards who you'd rather have a good performance then a nightmare performance and then pushes Granny out the way in the 89th minute to score <laughs> yeah. a goal. Like like a Shearer, like a proper goal poacher. Uh-huh. He doesn't I don't think he wants to score enough. Mm-hmm. Good footballer, decent forward, mm-hmm. but is he a goal scorer? Well clearly not at this stage. Mm-hmm. But you know it I'm not dismissing him out of hand yet because yeah. there's something there. I mean that that's the thing. I mean I think he's at, at the minute he he does seem I think he's realised coming into the team and the way the team is playing, he's not going to be getting the opportunities and I think he's thinking well how else can I can I impact the team and um, and he's bringing the ball down and I thought he he was doing it better than Carroll was doing when Carroll came on um, he was the one bringing the ball down and bringing other players and Carroll was trying to do that but to be um, fair Carroll's come on as a centre back yeah, yeah. Like, no, you, you, you played right. the last 10 minutes of that game yeah. Like, yeah. a couple of great sliding times <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean that we one for as well. potential yeah. uh, penalty was a bit uh, rippy. Yeah. Yeah. like the two footer but what a tackle I think just a, a point about um, the, the, the forward three I'm, I'm not too concerned about them not scoring because we're winning games mm-hmm. simple as that um, they will come good as Ian said before Perez Rondon last season it didn't happen overnight Got to give them time. There's a people say money doesn't matter, but Christ, we've broke a transfer record on all three of them, really, haven't we? When you look at the value values. But one thing I will say though is, I loved watching the players celebrate after Clark's winner. Yeah, they all seemed to what be a great point. Yeah, absolutely. And didn't Joe, matter who scored. Did it, it didn't. And even when I looked at Joe Linton, yeah, you look at him and think it's not work, it's not happening for you. But he just looked like he loved loved being part of that team. And again, we mentioned the first goal before when uh, VAR ruined that. Yeah. I mean, we can talk all week about VAR. It's ruining football, isn't it? Well, it, it is. Yeah. But there was even uncertainty from where we are because we didn't know whether uh, someone was offside. It was just an automatic response, oh, someone offside. But the players, you know, you know when the players celebrate as quickly as that, they're, they're like, yeah, that's, that's a goal. And when I watched it back on match of the day, it was like, oh, they look like they're playing for the, for the club and they're playing for the manager. Mm-hmm. And that, it's something what us supporters are going to have to accept and there will be a day, I'm sure there will be a day when it will be like, okay, he is getting it right here. And we're, look, we're talking about the fixtures before. Bruce has sort of said, well, we've had a difficult start. Other people, other journalists, other people in the media have backed that and said, yeah, we'll look at the fixtures. You've got to play everyone twice over the course of the season. I, I don't buy that as an excuse or a reason. However, if you look at the fixtures coming up, on paper, they are teams who are going to be around us. So really, you could say once we've played everyone once, yeah. Coming up to Christmas, New Year, that's when we could really judge Bruce. Can I just me. make a point about Steve Bruce and the spirit in the camp? Mm-hmm. Now, I think, you know, most people 
see Steve Bruce as a man manager rather than a coach. Yeah. But I, I've been in football journalist a long time. I can't think of one player who's played for Steve Bruce who's ever slagged him off. Yeah. Now, when he came into Newcastle, the the message coming out of the camp was this 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 is a good bloke. Yeah, we like to play for him. Nothing against Rafa. Rafa was hugely respected, but there's there's a more warmth about about Steve Bruce. I think most fans would accept that. You know, he likes to put his arm around the players. He likes to have a bit of a joke with them. Now he he took a huge risk after, in the dressing room after the five 0 against Leicester, because basically. The, the the Anglo-Saxon came out and he was telling the players this and that. Now, that that could have gone one way or the other. It could have been, oh, so this guy, he's nicey-nicey when it's, when it's going well, but then he turns. The players accepted that and they knuckled down. They took in his message and, and it's worked. So at the moment, what you've got, you've got a great spirit and the message is getting through, so... All the signs in, in that respect are very, very positive. Good to hear. That's probably the one thing that I expected least out of this season. I thought the camp would have been very negative about the replacement of Rafa with mm-hmm. Bruce. I didn't think the players would get behind it in the same way as it, as it did with Rafa. I didn't think the players would be able to come together as a unit as quickly as they have because there's, there's a couple of new faces in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's probably a language barrier in there. There certainly is with Joe Linton. I don't think he speaks much English. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was surprised and I did notice that. And the highlights on match of the day. If you look, just look at Joe Linton's face when he like, they all seem to go to him because Clark mm. doesn't know what to do with himself, <laughs> despite being our top scorer. Um, Joe Linton's clearly fucking buzzing, and yeah, it was yeah. it was really nice to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what well, someone tweeting saying, "Can we use the f word less?" So sorry, <laughs> I, I did. I toned the, the yeah. volume down on it. Yeah, um, I'm not. We're not. We're not affluent enough. I haven't got enough patrons to get a bleep button. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, on, on Joe Linton just quickly. Just so you know, there are eight unused buttons on the thing. That we're <laughs> um, just on Joe Linton quickly, it was it was a really interesting after the game because of where I was sitting. I don't look at the manager to see his reaction, Steve Bruce's reaction, when he missed that chance in the first half and hit it over the ball. Mm. Like, that, it's, it, it wasn't a, a golden chance. Why do you think he was, the manager was so frustrated by that? Because it wasn't like a one-on-one or anything. It was a decent chance. But he just seems he seems to be either really wanting Joe Linton to score or getting really frustrated with him, which is it? I think it's a bit of both. Right. I think it's a bit of both. From that 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 view, it did look a very very good chance, and I think he just wanted him to test the keeper. That's what strikers are meant to do. Yeah. If nothing else, test the keeper. He did have Almer on to his right as well. I think. Yeah. He was in quite a yes. good spot. If it's the chance, I'm thinking where he blazes it over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I do not blame him though for taking that shot on because it was because he had that man. He almost could use him yeah. to pull the defender out of the way. And to be honest, getting in those positions, I want your striker to be testing the keeper. There's not many keepers. Uh, there's not many strikers. If he stops taking, if he gets a bit gun shy and stops taking those opportunities and he's passing the book a bit, then I'd be worried. So I've got no qualms with him taking that yeah, shot so on. Because he doesn't do a pardew Jake when he does score. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he'll probably Bruce will be thinking along the same lines as us though, and if if he can, if those three up front can just get one and get that confidence, they could score a bloody hatful between them this year. So you'll be thinking like, didn't say it, get that blue button ready. You'll be thinking like, if just one of these guns in, like if Almiron doesn't hit Sir Maximan with his shot in the second half and he gets that goal, he probably gets seven or eight goals in the next twelve games. Like Bruce will know that, or you'll think that just as much as we do. I think there's a will for all of them to score. The support, you know, you can hear mumbles, you can hear people, he's not worth it, he's just another John Dahl Thomason, totally different players altogether. It's just rubbish, that. Well, of course it is. But even with Andy Carroll, I'm I'm praying he'll score. I want to see him run off with his, you know, his arms a lot. I want to see that before, he'll not be here next season. Everyone's pulling the same direction. Everyone wants them to do well. It's not as if, as supporters, you want them deliberately to fail, just so it'll you know, prove us right or whoever right for, for not wanting Bruce. The players, 90% of them are the same squad as last season. So, you know, and by all accounts, uh, he may prove me wrong here, but I think a lot of the signings were forced upon Steve. I, I, I could be wrong. I think he had certain input in the will. Uh, right. One, but, uh, yeah, forced upon or, you know, put towards him. I think, to be fair, in, in football generally, yeah. th- this happens. You know, there were players... That there are people in, in every single club whose job it is to to find players. Mm-hmm. Now, we obviously we do know Rafa did have the final say and insisted mm-hmm. on it. But at all these clubs, you wonder who is the person who who does who who does recommend who does spot the players. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I think uh, it's fair to say 
uh, with the possible exception of uh, Jetro, the, the, the signings were more or less signed, if not sealed. Yeah. There was at least the illusion that Bruce had some say in it, though, because nobody came in until he did, did they? So you would think that he was at least asked. Oh, I, whether it's, I think that's what you would I'm, I'm sure year. if he had come, he said, I've seen this guy, and I think he's absolutely rubbish. I think he would have, uh, yeah. he, he, he would have intervened. That's a bad joke by Ben. <laughs> um, moving swiftly on, then let's let's talk about what we're talking about. Uh, Ian mentioned Willems there. He's, one, he's fast become one of my favourite players, Mickey. Um, you've got Willems, who has probably had more shots on target than anyone else this season. Uh, seems to get himself in impossibly advanced positions for a fullback, but well, that's what you want, particularly when you're playing win backs. And he's got a good shot on him as well. Um, then you've also got, you know, Yedlin. Probably should have scored last week because he should have been onside. He was onside this week. So he's now more of a goal threat than ever. And then you've got Kieran Clark, whose last 12 games for Newcastle, going back to the start of last season, 12 Premier League starts, have, have given were five goals, which is a 15-goal-a-season striker. Is that right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> so, goodness. you know, I, one, one of my complaints last season, not complaints, but one of my worries last season before Miron came in, I was like, if you're a young Newcastle fan, who do you have on your wall? And, you know, everyone said Perez was hopeless. Um, Dwight Gale had gone, because he was on my wall, he still is. Um, <laughs> Malcolm McDonald. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, the, it was West Brom's Salomon Rondon. It was a fan favourite. But yeah. I really think with the arrival of, of St. Maximan, he, he can be a proper crowd pleaser, but a fan's favourite kids want to be him. It's it's almost like we've got, we've got one finally after, like, years of having, uh, you know, Look at the effort St. Maximan and um, Almiron put in compared to the last relegation team and, and the key players then, and that's going to be a big difference, I, I feel. Going, I was going to say that the uh, sales department would be pleased if it's St. Max with all the letters under his name. <laughs> oh, yeah, it doesn't. Um, you know, like 100 grand this year just on the hyphen. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey, though, back to the defence and Willems. You know, we've got Fernandez too in... Well, if it is for no, it's Clark's goal, isn't it? But uh, Fernandez put a cheeky post out on social media today yeah. saying he wants VAR to award the goal to him. What What do you, you know? Obviously, we've talked about the fact that it's a positive that we're still winning games without the front lads scoring. You know, what do you think Newcastle's best defence is? Because let's not forget we were one nil down, and then the captain went off, and then you're thinking, Jesus Christ! And Paul Dummer comes in and plays brilliantly. So, you know, a good problem for Bruce to have, I presume. Can you please tell him what his best defence is? Um. Yeah, it is a it is a good problem, and it's an uncommon problem for Newcastle to have too many good defenders, isn't it? Like, have we have we ever been able to say that? Even uh, going back to the time you used to go, Mark. Um, well, no, because more defenders were all attackers, weren't they? When you think of uh, <laughs> they Watson and now, yeah. Alder and Beresford, were all attackers, really. But it's it is a nice position to be in. Um, we've we've got a good um, you know group of centre halves, and you, you you could pick two or four. For me, I thought, though, apart from Lejeune, who I think is a, a class above the rest, I think the rest are just a much of a muchness, you know. But one thing I will say is, though, Lascelles going off wasn't a bad thing because Clark, when he's left side of the uh, the back three, she would say, he seems to play a long ball. And uh, there was a lot of time frustration, maximum. We're playing long ball with a winger who's, I don't know how tall he is, 5'10 or something. Mm-hmm. And when he went inside, he had to go left or right. He didn't go long ball. So I think Clark's best position is in the middle of a, of a back three. Who who would have thought that Steepers had better defensive options than Pep Guardiola? <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, he has. Yeah, of he does. He does yeah. And I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like everyone around this table to name what who their three would be and then justify why the other three shouldn't be in. That's the hard bit. Well, how how can you tell Fernandez he shouldn't be in the side? Yeah. How, can he, how can he take out Clark? It's, uh, yeah. You know, it's It's staggering. It puts a difficult. It puts a difficult question to Bruce in it when when the other lads come back in and they're fit. Who does he pick? I think, I think he's made a great point in the post match conference. He's, uh, well, whenever he said it and whoever he said it to, he said there are players at the minute who aren't on the team, like Mudo, um, someone else. What? Mankio. Yeah. So Mankio. He said they've done nothing wrong. So if you're, I like, I like the idea of the meritocracy. So if you're in the team and playing well, you're in the team and playing well. So when Fabian Cher, who we all love, comes back. There's no place for him in that team because that three are doing well. Then he's got to wait for his chance. And that, we've talked about this for years, good matter when we first started the podcast in 2014, what we've never really had is competition for places because we haven't been a good enough side. We haven't been a good enough side for the manager to think, oh, he's, he's had a shaky game. 
where there's someone breathing down his neck yeah. to come in next week. At genuine competition places, sometimes we'd change the fullbacks, you know, or, or Atsu would come in for Richie sometimes, but this is in the spine of the team, up front, central midfield with the long staffs, you know, not in the team, and the back three. That's that's such a positive to have that I think, I don't think they'll be a best. I think there's the, when you get your chance under the manager, if you take it, you're in. So I think you'll stick. I might be wrong. I think you'll stick with the three that are playing until there's there's a reason yeah. not to play them. I, I, I totally agree. And that's why the, the question you asked me is div- it's impossible to answer because... Well, I can answer it for you. The, but, the three yeah. that I would start, if you discount the fact that we've played really well with, with the two the two sets of three that we've had, the three that I would start are Lejeune, Fernandez, and Shaw um, because those three are the best defenders. Basically, Lejeune, I, I think everyone around the table and everyone in Newcastle would agree, Lejeune is the probably the best player at the club. He's brilliant at defending. Mm-hmm. His, his range of passing is exceptional. And when you put that on one side of the three and you've got Cher on the other side of the three who can do the same thing, as well as being able to carry the ball out really well, it, it moves the entire team up the pitch and it brings in the threat of the fullbacks. I can't wait to see how well Yedlin and... Um, and Williams do with those two pinging the balls across the pitch. Remember how often Lejeune was finding the wingers? Yeah. The wing back, sorry, and allow, if you've got Sir Maximan and Almiron running more centrally and creating that space, it, it just offers a whole new depth to our attack and football, which, which I'm really excited to see. So those, those two on either side, I think, kind of pick themselves because they're so much better than everyone else on the ball mm-hmm. and are good at defending. And then for me, Fernandez is the best just out and out defender. I think he's better at it than the cells. The only thing that makes me question whether I would have Fernandez or the cells is that firstly the cells is a club captain and clearly has an influence in the dressing yeah, room. And does. secondly, he's a lot younger and he can be moulded into a, an excellent centre half in, in years to come. Mm. He's also I, taller, which and, and he's taller. See, Bruce hinted on Friday, was it this week or last week, that uh, it will be difficult to to manage them for the rest of the season. Now, if I was a club looking for Defensive recruits in the new year. I'd come to Newcastle. Newcastle are in the fortunate position, Shh. whereby whereby <laughs> yeah. they stop it. Well, no, no. I'm saying yeah. you've got six players for for three positions. It is going to be very difficult. Now, I, I'd love Newcastle to keep all six, but you know, if a club comes in, you can maybe sell the, the sixth choice one, whoever Steve Booth thinks that is, for quite a bit of money, because uh, you know it. It's going to be very, very hard to keep three. I mean, you won't even be able to keep all the three who weren't on the side in, on the on bench, bench, will you? No, that's it. Yeah. I was thinking to myself yesterday, by the way, watching the Man City game. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see them come in for one of our lads, but it won't be it won't be the sixth choice. And no. <laughs> Bruce won't be selling the sixth choice centre half because Ashley will not let that happen. We'll be selling the first choice centre half for the yeah. highest price, and then he'll say you've still got five that were all good enough to play. Yeah. That's how that's how things work in Newcastle now. Everyone, you know, disappointingly, I could see Cher going to Man City in January. Well, the gym, was it City one? Yes, yeah. But his injury record is probably not. I mean, Cher not is good probably enough. the most marketable, but yeah. he's probably the best as well. Well, him and Lejeune, as you yeah. correctly say. Yeah, I'll be so disappointed to lose either of those two though, because get them get them together and get them to have a proper run in the team yeah. of being two the two either side of the central defender, and we'll be laughing. Look what I've started, all this transfer. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, we are seven points clear of the relegation zone. You could call it eight with the goal difference because Southampton got yeah. that, that hammering. Do you think it's too early to kind of say that Newcastle, after with the points that we've got, should really be not in the relegation picture? And do you think that the players and the manager are thinking, you know what, we, we can afford now to look up Rather than constantly be like right, thirty-seven points, thirty-eight points. Like, what? How do you think the rest well, of the season's going to go? I'll show you on my phone. I bet I had in July fifteen to two Newcastle to finish top half. All right. Has, has anyone done? Have you the, got money on that? Have you? I have. Yeah. That I'll is bold. Hey, that's bold. I back it though. Yeah, it was fifteen to two, which I thought was decent. Was that before Bruce was appointed? No, no. It was, it was actually after the Saint Etienne game. Right. Uh, but has anyone done the Evening Chronicle predicted today that they put it in to predict every single team's results between now and Christmas? Right, no. And, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I can exclusively reveal that uh, Newcastle are going to merge as Liverpool's nearest challenges. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what I did, I actually did them. And I was trying, I was trying to, um, everyone will tell you I'm hopelessly optimistic or stupidly optimistic. Yeah. And I was trying to be realistic, you know, losing at home to Man City, uh, a draw at Sheffield United. 
I had them at eight. Yeah. Now, now that might that if you have a look at the fixtures, and you, you know, and you look at the teams above us who've got very very hard fixtures. Newcastle have had a tough batch of fixtures since August. You know, I think Newcastle can genuinely look up the table. I've got a funny feeling that the relegation race will not be tight this year and that the three teams, are certainly, certainly I think Southampton and Norwich, Watford may actually come, come good, I don't know. But I th- I've got a feeling that the three there, the chances are they will occupy those the, the drop slots. Throw Villa in there as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've still got a grudge against them. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, I think Newcastle, I don't think it's... Uh, I don't think it's being too widely optimistic to say, why not look up the table? I mean, I think it's it's been a really interesting season so far in that some of the some of the results have just been crazy. I mean, you look at how Sheffield United basically dismantled Tottenham at the weekend. They're a good team. They look really, really good. And good. it's very rare. I mean, you, you can't really see in the past you would have said, oh, well, it's, they're, they're just... They don't. The, the first time they're seeing them, they, they won't have had any sort of game tape necessarily to sort of dissect them, and and all these things have coming up. You, you have that sort of boost when you first come up, but they look a really, really good side. Um, and I mean, we've already mentioned. I mean, Man U, Tottenham, Everton. There's some teams are really, really struggling. There's a lot of pressure on them. Spent a lot of money, mm-hmm. and they don't look like they've they've got players there that particularly want to be there. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of big scalps continuing throughout, and it's as you say, it is the type of season where you will see some surprises in terms of teams really outperforming what they were expected to at the start of the year. Um, and, and Newcastle are in a really good position because I think we, we, we've got one of the most solid defence we've just talked about. Yeah. Our, the bread and butter for Newcastle United is defence at the minute. We can keep games in, I mean, Leicester um, obviously is the anomaly, but we, we generally will stay in games because of how strong we are defensively. And all, all it takes is that front three to start firing. As, you, as Mickey said, I mean, they get a couple, they'll, they'll probably score a load. So um, we've got a real potential here. I mean, it, it could all go up in flames. But the way this, the table is this year, I, I think it's going to be a, a few surprises. And mm-hmm. by all means, I mean, eight, I mean, it doesn't sound unthinkable. You'd have, I mean, you'd have said that two, three weeks ago, you'd have been laughed out. But it genuinely does look like a potential um, with, with the way the league's looking at the minute. I think it just to sort of, conclude on that bit if Steve Bruce does get where um, where do we finish in a rough on the first season of Prem 10th 10th but with a record low points total for 10th place not if, taken away from him but yeah, just yeah. yeah I think my point being is because the expectation was much lower from the supporters and the likes of myself didn't want him to have the job um, if he got Newcastle to 10th that would be a massive achievement because he's then proven that he can do the job but he's also proven that there is life after Rafa Benitez. Do you know what I mean? And that, that, that's when, if he did get... This is the thing, it's about expectations. If Rafa Benitez was still the manager and we finished ninth or 10th this season, I think there would have been a lot of disappointment. Yeah. Because his progr- progression the last three seasons, despite finishing lower, was started, he changed the way in January, we started scoring more goals, and it was starting to become a more enjoyable football to watch. Um, so therefore, I think expectations of Bruce are a lot lower. Therefore, if he does finish 10th and Ian does win his bet, then uh, the paints are on him. <laughs> <laughs> I think you make a great point there about expectation. And yeah. I, hate, I hate being horribly cynical, but I wonder if the, some people at the club would would see Steve Bruce finishing 8th as a problem because then next season, where do you go from there? Problem's probably too strong a term. But you know, if he was to finish 12th or 13th this season, he would have... Far surpassed a lot yeah. of the expectation from supporters. I mean, you know, Sai Campbell, who was on the podcast last week, giving up the season ticket. I put it to him on last week's podcast. I said, you told us we wouldn't win a game this season. We beat Man United, wouldn't win another game. And to be fair to Sai, he was very good and said, you know what? Even already, I still think we're going to get relegated, which I now think is a stretch considering the position we've talked about. But he said, even now he's surpassed my expectation. So... It's that little group of fans every week, isn't it? You've got the ones, the worst ones, like Sai, who said would finish 20th with 14 points. Mm-hmm. He, you know, Sai's, I'm not saying he's on board, but at least he kind of really yeah, holds his hand up. I was wrong. You've got me a few weeks ago thinking, well, we'll definitely get relegated. I don't think we'll get relegated now. I think, I think would, I, you know, we'll have to wait and see how the next few weeks goes. I think the next few weeks, Villa away is a massive game because Villa have the ability to turn it on. They have very good, very fast players. And it's also a bit of a return. There's a bit of a story there with Steve Bruce coming out as former club. 
Then we've got Man City at home, which they look, you know, we've beat them already this year. Why can't we do it again? I know you are right, we'll probably get beat, but I'm not going to be going to that game thinking guaranteed defeat because I thought that last season and I was wrong. One of those games, Ben, you didn't even <laughs> turn up for it, like, because it was just like we're going to get beat because there was the whole Almiron thing. Um, and then we'll have, uh, you know, a, a, fr- a frankly massive game against Southampton um, and then Burnley away with Sheffield United sandwiched in between. If we can take eight points there, then we are looking at top half. And yep. it's not outside. I don't think anyone listening to this, I hope not, would think eight points out of the question from those games, yeah. even six points. So I reckon we're looking at 15. <laughs> yeah. So the, there's definitely, the, the season has changed, the mood has changed. Is it enough to bring back the 8,000 who weren't there on Saturday? I don't think so, because of the reasons you alluded to quite yeah. rightly earlier, it doesn't really matter what they do. But I think you're right. If, if, if Steve Bruce was to get as a top 10 finish this season, it would be a remarkable achievement. Yeah. But there's a long way to go. There's a lot of people in, in humble pie if that happens as well. I had us finishing 20th this year. Not with a, not with a record's lo- low points total. I didn't think it would be as bad as Sunderland were twice. But I thought we'd finish last and, and, and really struggle all year. And it, I've, I've quickly been proved wrong. And, you know, even just without including these two most recent games, I'd still been proven wrong to an extent that we weren't going to finish last. But the, last, the, the way the last two weeks has gone... It's made it's made me and Si look stupid by saying we're going to finish 20th. Well, it could be me who's stupid by the end of the season. I hope not. But uh, listen, I mean, it's incredible isn't it, this game of football that we're all involved in. And one result, it does change the narrative. You know, if that had been, if, if that um, King, Josh King had gone in, yeah. we wouldn't be talking the way we are. We'd be talking about only one win at home. What, yeah. what have we got to do to win? And results change everything. I think I think if we hadn't have beaten Man United going into that international break, I think that that did give Steve Bruce time, and everything just calmed down a little bit. The yeah. the anti Ashley chance for for far as I'm concerned, I don't hear them anymore at St James's Park. I hear them away from home, but not at St James's Park, and that, that certainly bought him time. And this win as well, you know, it, it's there's momentum there, and you know, as I said earlier on the pod, the true time um, time to question Bruce or applaud him for me is over Christmas see where we are and that's when we've played all the clubs the teams who will be around were. and if we're sitting uh, mid-table after Christmas then it's a job well done Absolutely I think we've just about done this week for analysing Newcastle United um, Ian since your first time on the podcast mm. you know we thought we'd, we'd talk to you a little bit about your career because I think Mark said it off air you've, you've seen long one. <laughs> yeah you've, uh, you've certainly seen some things that are uh, St James's Park. How, how did you get into football journalism? What's your story type thing? Probably the same as everyone else. I, I went to uni. I uh, I started off at the Hexham Courant. I was a proper journalist for about a year, you know, <laughs> covering council meetings and court cases. And then uh, got very quickly on, onto sport. I had a brief spell at the Shields Gazette, about, only about six six months. And then I went to the Northern Echo. I loved it there. And I covered... Um, the likes of Darlington, Hartlepool, York, Scarborough, got to know Bob Moncur, Cyril Knowles, God rest his soul, uh, John Bird, Neil Warnock, who I think he's just packed in tonight, yep. hasn't he? He's caught it. That, that could be the end of his uh, right. managerial career. And of course you're always you're always in a in a hurry to, to get a to to cover big time football. I remember when Luke Edwards joined the journal friend of this show, and Luke's a good friend of mine. You know, he didn't want to do the, the lower leagues. He wanted to get straight on. He was a man in a hurry. And we all are to a certain extent. But you, you look back and it was great fun. It was great fun uh, co- covering the, those teams, you know. Uh, I I used to fill in for covering Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough when I was on the Echo. And then just before I got married, I got off at the Sunderland job on the, on the Chronicle. I was brought up a Newcastle fan. But unlike most Newcastle fans, I quite liked Sunderland because my mum was a Sunderland fan. So I did Sunderland for five years, and then uh, I got a call from the editor of the journal saying, would you like to join us to, to cover both teams? And I thought it was a fantastic decision. And uh, I remember on a, uh, it was 95, so it was halfway through the championship season, or the championship <laughs> yeah, really. challenging season. But uh, those five, six years at the journal, were, they were absolutely incredible. Not just Newcastle, because if you remember you know, Middlesbrough had Janino and Ravinelli and uh, and Sunderland, Peter Reid and Kevin Phillips Quinn. I had a season ticket at Wembley. Mm. That's another story which I'll, I'll come on to in a minute. But uh, uh, and then the turn of the century, um, I had 
two lads. My lads were eight and seven, and then uh, number three came in the way, and so I thought I, I need I need to move on. I was offered a chance of a national paper down in Manchester, but I, I always wanted to stay in North East. Never regretted that. Never regretted it. Got on the Star, and then eventually did the Star and, and the Express, and uh, here I am now. I, I, I've been covering England, and I wasn't brought up an England fan, actually, from an Irish background, although I am a big fan of Gareth Southgate and, and his team. It's a, it's a lovely squad, and Gareth's one of my uh, favourite football figures. Uh I mentioned Wembley before. Uh, I think I probably got the worst record of anyone, <laughs> excluding England, but doing club football. My record covering north northeast sides is played 16, won none. Wow. <laughs> drawn one, lost 15. <laughs> You're not allowed to come when you castle next get there. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what the Sunderland lot said last time. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I even uh, I did Hull Arsenal, and I thought... and. Down south, I think holes in the northeast. It's not, but <laughs> you know, that that hole were two 0 up. If you remember, Brucey's side against yeah. uh, against Arsenal, they lost three two. I thought, well, and I'd said to my sports desk, can I, can I stay for the next day to to watch Gateshead against Cambridge? And even Gateshead uh, yeah. let me down. So, yeah. so uh, I, you know. And then, of course, last season the two Sunderland ones, Middlesbrough in the playoffs, and long time since Newcastle have been there, isn't it? Long, long time. Uh, I still remember that that moment. Yeah. Rob Lee's had a goal. Yeah. My goodness, the noise that day. Yeah. I, I, it's still echoing, you know. Yeah. That was incredible, and the, you know, the, the highlights. My Wembley highlights were, were were that, and and that that four four Sunderland draw. You know, everything else has been utter misery. <laughs> yeah. Bad times. Yeah. yeah. But they've been incredible highs. I mean, uh, you know, I remember on the journal covering the um, the Barcelona game. Three two, and uh, colleagues will tell you I, I'm still a bit of a, a technophobe. But I, I was given this brand new laptop at the time, and you know one of the greatest games St James's Park had ever witnessed. It's on the journal, and uh, suddenly uh, the toolbar came up, and I thought, "What do I do there? Do I press cancel? Do I press abort? I pressed abort. I didn't know the difference between cancel and abort, and of course lost everything. And thankfully, back in those days, the deadlines were a little more gentle than they are now. So Picked up a phone, just got a copy taker, and just the adrenaline just got me through it, you know, mm-hmm. which you can't do after watching one of the great games. So, so that game would be up there with the fine odd game out out in uh, Rotterdam and the um, the five nil, the five nil against Manchester United, which is probably one of a handful of times when uh, I've jumped up in a in a press box. <laughs> and the other time I remember was. Can you remember the Middlesbrough uh, two UEFA Cup comebacks? Uh, oh, nice. yeah. And, and uh, Steve McLaren. Yeah. And, uh, well, <laughs> a good friend about Alistair Brownlee, who, who oh, sadly yes. died. Yeah. Listen, I'd, I'd recommend anyone going to YouTube. I know this is a Newcastle podcast, yeah. but uh, listening to Alistair Brownlee's yeah. uh, commentaries for those games. You, you games, can't knock passion. Basel, and, and the story of Bucharest, absolutely magnificent. Yeah. Everyone would empathise. Yeah. Everyone. So, yeah, so the so there been some wonderful times, but... Uh, up here, we're, we're enormously envious of our colleagues. Uh, every other week, when they're they going to Champions League and Euro, <laughs> Europa League games, and we had that. We had yeah. it for ten years. You know, mm-hmm. we it, we were spoiled at, at one time. Didn't have trophies, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, do do you think there's a sort of acceptance in, amongst supporters, journalists, uh, Newcastle United as a rule? Do you think there's an acceptance now that the MDs just won't come back under this owner? As Yes, to a, well, put it this way, you, you can't really see it coming back. You'd love to see them attack the FA Cup, mm. and uh, and you know they might they might sneak a sixth place like they did with a, a fifth place with Pardew. Yeah. What was that five years? No, seven years ago now. Yeah, uh, you know th- that sixth place is going to be up for grabs. Sixth, seventh is going to be up for grabs most seasons. I would have thought, but uh, you can't see back. To, Back at, uh, to the days of, of challenging. I mean, I, I, I was a friend of uh, Freddie Shepard. I, I, I defended Freddie. I make a habit of defending unpopular causes. <laughs> but you know, I think uh, I think uh, I, I still keep in touch with his son Kenneth, and I think he's been he's been vindicated to a certain extent. That man lived, ate, breathed Newcastle United, and shared the same emotions as the fans. And I think that's all that's all Newcastle fans want. They want somebody sitting in in that posh seat, the posh seat of them all, to just feel the same as them, feel the pain of a goal going in, 
getting out of the seat when, it, when, when, when you score yourself, you know, enjoying your Saturday nights when you win, being miserable when you lose. You, you just want, and you know that the current owner doesn't share those emotions like the rest of us. On that note, uh, we'll let Mark head back across the water to his home. Ian, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome back any time. Hopefully we can speak to you again later this season. Yeah. And uh, After I've collected my better before. Yeah, I was just about to say, <laughs> ne- next time it'll be live from the county in Gosforth where <laughs> Ian will pick up the bar tab. So thanks everybody for listening. This show is kept free of charge by our 250-odd patrons who pay £7 a month for about 20 to 30 extra podcasts international weekend this week so uh, next weekend you have the delight Ian has just referenced it there unknowingly uh, myself Mark and a few others were recorded a full as it was when it was season in depth look at uh, season 11-12 the only season under Mike Ashley where we have at all tried to get into the Champions League or at least challenge so that'll be out for free this coming weekend and lots more content coming up over the two weeks on Patreon Mickey and Ben thanks to yourselves as well speak to you all very soon Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.